1: You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.
0: Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Hey. And on today's edition of the show, we're going to be talking a little KU basketball, uh, some maybe different... I don't know, players who are out there, transfer portal, freshmen, all sorts of stuff to to be on the lookout for for KU basketball. Uh, We're going to be joined by Matt Tate at 340. Kevin Flaherty will be on with us at 440. I will not be around for that. I have to take off early today to get out to the KU baseball game, which you can hear against Texas Southern tonight with pregame at 550 and first pitch scheduled for 6 o'clock. We also have a top 10 Bill Self one-and-done freshman. And guess what? It is that time of year we are going to start registering for rcst trivia let's go boom we'll do that in the five o'clock hour so you're going to want to stick around for that uh some big news up the top today and that would be about ethan vasco we've talked uh, a pretty good amount about ethan vasco despite the fact that he is the third string quarterback (laughs) at ku and you know i guess deservedly so he's a young player who comes in with with promise and you kind of thought that he might be the QB of the future or post Jalen Daniels well that no longer will be the case because Ethan Vasco
3: has officially decided to enter the transfer portal yeah it's interesting because it's interesting on a couple fronts yesterday we literally just talked about how hey in the spring KU was over the number of allotted scholarships so don't be surprised if some guys do end up leaving the program whatever in order for Kansas to get to that number that they need to be at well, that being said, one of the guys that I was not expecting to be leaving the program was a guy like Ethan, Ethan Vasco mm-hmm. for the reason that you just outlined because all of the discussion around him from Kotel, Nicky, even Lance Leipold was, hey, this is the guy of the future, we think, at quarterback for KU, right? Like Jalen Daniels has this year, uh, he could leave after this year or he could stay for another year, but it's not a guarantee. Jason B, and I think is definitely for sure done after this year. So there is kind of that question into the future, right? And I think this goes into, I think this goes into the discussion of elevating Kansas to a a consistent program, and that is you need to have consistent quarterback play, right? You look at what Kansas did the the flash in the pan they had in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and that run. What was the main factor in that? You had a great quarterback, Todd Raising. Look at Kansas now with what they've done less last season and what they're hoping to do with this in this upcoming season and after. What do they have? A great quarterback, but you have to continue on that. You have to build on that. You have to, you know, recruiting or whatever. You have to keep that going, because you've seen what happened to Kansas after Todd Racing left, and there was that void that they were really unable to fill for ten years at least. So Vasco seemed like that next guy, and yeah, like we said, there was a possibility some guys were going to leave in the program in order for KU to get to that scholarship limit. Vasco was not one of them, so this does come as a bit more of a surprise. But at the end of the day, like, he's your third-string quarterback, so for this upcoming season, you're still in really good shape, right? Like, I mean, Vasco came in against Texas Tech last season because you didn't have Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean was hurt. That was the only time he's saw him. So, you didn't, obviously, you weren't expecting to see him on the field at all this season in an actual game, but at the same time, he was a good developmental guy, it sounded like, and he was well-liked by the coaches and whatnot. So, it is still a, a bit of a disappointing blow, I would say, to Kansas, but one that is not going to affect them too much this upcoming season, but long-term, maybe it could. Yeah. And so, uh, I
0: mean, gosh, honestly, having Jason Bean back in tow now, like that decision became a lot more prevalent today. Exactly.
3: Yeah, like without without Bean, Vasco was going to be back the backup the back quarterback.
0: Yeah. yeah. And uh, that would have been a little bit scary. But, yeah, I mean, the, the timeline for Vasco, so he came in, he redshirted this past season, so he's a redshirt freshman. Um. And obviously has four years left of play came in as a guy who, you know, he's a three star recruit top 1600 nationally, um, six foot three solid size. Every time we've heard from coaches and stuff like the the kind of scouting report type of stuff we've heard about him is good athlete, uh, good throwing on the run, able to work out of the pocket has kind of a, maybe not the strongest arm in the world, but he has a quick twitch arm, right? He's able to get the ball out fast and he's able to throw on the run, which are two important things, For a KU team that, you know, they're not going to ever have Alabama's offensive line, right? (laughs) So you need a quarterback who's mobile. And so all of those things would have led well to, you know, him being a future guy at KU. Whether it was them running the offense we're seeing now, which is more of the option type stuff. Or the offense that maybe they were running more at Buffalo. Or maybe we saw a little more of when Jason Bean was in there. Where they're not running the quarterback as much, but you still had that option out there. He was a good possible future option for that and you heard a lot of good things about him around the program that made you believe that yeah he could be the next guy to take over that position and that you would be able to have a good player in that regard um, I think in the same way that you're excited that Jason being like even more so now that he um, is returning this also makes the decision a couple months ago from Caden Wiseman who was the three-star quarterback commit who committed to the program like last fall and then ended up decommitting I don't even know where he's at anymore um, that makes that more interesting because for him he could have been like you know the third string quarterback possibly this year um, but yeah as, as far as this year goes if, if we're to take this into two different ways of putting it uh, for, for the Ethan Vasco side of things I actually do kind of think wherever he goes like He could be a legit, real quarterback. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's kind of a head-scratching decision to me for, you know, everybody has their own reasoning. So that's more important than what I think about it. But off the top of my head, I'm just sitting there going, is he going to transfer somewhere where he wants to just play right away, where he wants to play this next season? That could be tough. Exactly. That's going to be very tough unless he's going to transfer down to like, you know, a max school or something like that. But if he wants to stay at a power five school, that's going to be really tough to do. So realistically, you're looking at hanging around a program for a year or two before you're the starter. That would have just been the case at Kansas anyway. So that's why this one becomes a little bit weird to me. Um, I'm I'm curious how much the Isaiah Marshall commit for 2024 does kind of matter to all this. But as far as, yeah, so, so so you have the near term and the long term. For the near term.
3: Doesn't really change much at all.
0: Jalen Daniels still QB1. Jason, Jason Bean's Bean still QB2. Yep. Now, I guess you could say, well, we saw Jalen Daniels get hurt last year. <clears throat> um,
3: yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Vasco did have to play last year. Yeah, so it, exactly. It, so if you look at it from that standpoint, it's, like, it's not, if it's already happened once, it wouldn't be that unlikely to have him have to play again this season Mm -hmm. obviously you don't want that to be the case but
0: yeah could be and it's important as well to bring up because if jason bean and and this is this is where i i wonder if this does have an effect on this year's team if jason bean were to get injured with them using him in a bunch of other ways right with him using maybe some receiver some running back some kick return yeah all of a sudden, that guy that would have been Ethan Vasco that moves into the second string where you feel comfortable with that now becomes somebody else. I would think that would be Ben Easter's. Yeah, at this point in time, um, Ben Easter's is a guy who's more known for his like short throwing accuracy, He's like quick for precision while, stuff. Yeah, he was somebody that uh, Brent Deerman brought in, which he brought in Jalen Daniels that worked out just okay. Um, so yeah, I think I think Ben Easter's will be like redshirt sophomore this upcoming season. Um, so he would move into the third string role in that position. So you have the the side of it where it's like, well, if Jason Bean gets injured doing one of those other things, he becomes the backup. We saw Jalen get injured. That's where a possible doomsday scenario kind of arrives for you there, even though we, I, I guess, don't totally know what Ben Easters could bring to the table. But I, I, I'm wondering if this move of losing Vasco, where I think you felt very comfortable with Vasco as your third string, we'll see how comfortable they feel with Ben Easters as the third string. Or if he's they more so viewed him as just kind of a program body filler type. I wonder if we see less of Jason yeah. Bean at other positions.
3: I was about to ask you that. I mean, does does this does this make it to where, okay, now you're not gonna put Jason Bean on kick returns? Where like before you might have tried it at least. But now it's like, can you really afford that? Are you gonna let him run the ball more, Jason Bean? Are you gonna let him, you know, be more active in using his legs and whatnot, or are you gonna be more timid about that? I kind of think they probably won't change. This doesn't change too much with how they want to use Bean, like I said, except for maybe on like the extreme scenarios. But I feel like they'll probably still want to continue to use him as they had planned all along maybe. But, yeah, I mean, how does that not, if you're Kotelnicki, how does that not sit in the back of your mind of, well, if we go out there and let Bean run willy-nilly or do whatever we want with him and then he gets hurt, and now all of a sudden it's if Jalen Daniels has any problems, you run into some serious issues.
0: Right. So I, I do kind of think it does impact it. I, I don't think they're going to use him as much in some of those other ways. They're going to try to I limit know, his hands. I
3: don't think it. I don't think it changes that much. Like I said, except for the extremes. Like maybe before there was a real conversation of, yeah, why not throw him back down, kick returns? Ah, who cares? What's worse could happen? We got Vasco. That could change. But in terms of like the the packages, they had kind of been already running last season where like, you know, Double pass type stuff. Yeah, I don't think it being affects a wide that. Wide receiver. Yeah, it doesn't affect that stuff. No, I I, I just
0: think yeah, it's the, the extreme stuff like you said of him actually like running around at receiver, or running at running back, or yeah, like you I said, think he could still run some
3: routes at receiver.
0: I would be surprised at this point. I think I would. Hmm. So that that's the short term impact. That's the immediate impact. The long term impact is the bigger impact here, for sure. Looking ahead, fast forwarding to twenty twenty four. Jason Bean will have graduated. He will have used up his eligibility at the end of this season. Yep. So he's gone. Yep. Jalen Daniels will be an interesting situation because if he has a great season this year, you know, if you're a Heisman finalist and you lead Kansas to a Big 12 championship appearance, <laughs> you might end up being a third or fourth round pick and and you might go to the NFL draft. Yes. Right. Um. I know there were some people like who kind of murmured around, like, would he think about transferring at all? I don't know. I, I have no idea. I think he loves being here. I think he loves his teammate. But I guess at this point in time, like Hunter Dickinson is transferring from a big school at Michigan to, you know, get all sorts of whatever. So would it ever be crazy if a player like Jalen Daniels had a good season and then transferred from Kansas? No, I guess not. Uh, I, I don't bring that up to cause like panic or worry in anyone. I'm not saying that's gonna happen. Basically what I'm just saying is there is when you compound it with the NFL draft stuff, there would be a real chance that Jalen Daniels is not on your roster next season.
3: Yes. Going into the fall of 24. Now there's yeah. there's
0: there's a chance that he comes back for another year, right? He's yeah, he's more of an undersized quarterback. He's not six foot three, he's not six foot four that um even if he had a great year, like he probably wouldn't be seen as a first round pick. I do envision, though, if he had a great year because he does have the arm strength, he's got the live wire arm. We are seeing more quarterbacks who are shorter stature, and he's still like six foot, six foot one uh, going earlier on in drafts that I do think he would be on NFL radars. Um, so he could be back. And if he is back, then it makes this a whole lot easier. But let's say he is gone. Let's say he goes to the NFL draft after having a really good season. Let's say that Jason mean. Well, yeah, he does graduate at the end of this year. That leaves you at that point. With the following season, you have, at that point, like a redshirt sophomore, Ben Easters, and you would have a true freshman, Isaiah Marshall. And Isaiah Marshall is seen as a really, really good recruit for KU. One of the highest rated recruits KU's ever had. I think on uh, rivals, he's like a top 10 quarterback in the class. Um, Some sites have him as three star. some sites have him as a four star. Dual threat, put up really good numbers. I think he's from the Michigan area. Like By all accounts, you would expect him to be the next dude for KU at the quarterback position. Hard to do that as a true freshman. Yes. And that's what you would be asking him to do at I that mean, point You don't even
3: you don't even see very often, like, your five-star recruits go out and do and have success it's as hard. a freshman. It's like, hard. You just don't see it. Yeah. So, that's
0: where the issue comes in, is that you were almost viewing it as well. If Jalen went pro after this year, then Vasco could be the go-to guy next season, and maybe Isaiah Marshall competes with him. And if Marshall beats him out, that's great, because he would beat a... Um, guy who's been in your program at that point for three years, that that would show well. And yeah. now it's almost like, well, is it defaulted to the freshman? Is it somebody who maybe you didn't envision being a starter at some point in his KU career? Are they going to have to go out next year and, and bring on a transfer portal quarterback? I think that might be a realistic option, right? Could be, yeah. I absolutely. mean, unless, obviously, with, with Jalen, um, if he comes back. So that's, that's where the long-term stuff comes into play here, which makes things very sticky. And then... Yeah. I think if you do kind of patch up next year, let's say Jalen does go, it would make sense to bring in a one-year transfer guy, and then Isaiah Marshall maybe redshirts his first year, and then he's good to go by his redshirt freshman year. Or if Jalen just comes back for his, you know, at that point his his last year of college ball, um, which would be his COVID year, I believe, and then you can send Isaiah Marshall for one year, that would be ideal. That's the most ideal situation, but I think that's what this Ethan Vasco thing brings up. It creates possible opportunities for, where there is a little bit of oh no type yeah. situations.
3: Yeah, with I think with Vasco on the roster, you felt pretty settled at the quarterback position for the next like two to three years ish. Mm-hmm. With him gone, you still feel okay, but you certainly don't feel settled like you did before. It's not like a it's not like a panic situation, no. but it's a situation where yeah, in the next couple of years, you could have maybe uh, some holes there, right? Whereas before, you you felt Pretty sure about yourself for at least the next two or three years.
0: Well, now you, you look at the roster up and down the board too. Like as much as we've talked about all these guys returning for this year's team, you don't know who's going to all be back via the transfer portal going pro. But you look up and down the roster; it's not just KU has a lot of guys back for this year's team. KU could have a lot of guys back. For next year's team. Lawrence Arnold's a redshirt junior. Quentin Skinner's a redshirt junior right now. I think Luke Grimm is a senior, but I think he has a COVID year left that he could play another year. Tanaka Scott is a redshirt sophomore. Doug Emelian's a redshirt junior. Um, up and down the offensive line, like you could have uh, senior or junior years in 2024 of Dre Dorian, Nolan Gorsica, Joe Krause. Uh, Michael Ford I think has another year Amaj Reed Adams would have another year Bryce Cable would have another year Kobe Baines, Logan Brown would have another year Uh, Jared Casey would have another year Trevor Cardell um, Devin Neal could have another year. Daniel Highshaw, Savion Morrison, like uh, so many players on the offense. Then you look at the defense. Like DJ Withers could be a junior. Um, I think Jeremy Robinson could have a COVID year. You would have a uh, senior year of Cornell Wheeler. I think another year of Taiwan Barry Hill. You could have a senior year of Kobe Bryant. Senior year of OJ Burrows, Senior year of Romelo Dotson. Senior year of Jalen Dye. Like you could have so many players back for next season too. Yeah. But if you don't have the quarterback situation figured out, you don't feel as good about it. No, not at all. So, that, that's why this does have a real impact, even though, you know, on paper, it's like, oh, the third string quarterback
3: transferred? What's the big deal? Yeah. There and, is and, a bigger deal and than you would this season, it doesn't change expectations, it doesn't Correct. change anything. But, again, it's a situation where you felt more settled before today, and now it's like, okay, it's probably still fine, but you don't feel as secure as you did. And, and again, just to circle back to what I said at the beginning of this, with KU football, like, if your goal is to continue to build a consistent program that is competing for bowl games and competing for, you know, conference championships and whatnot, you've got to have consistent quarterback play. You've got to have that quarterback situation into the future. You've got to know, okay, this is what our quarterback situation is going to be, especially for a program like KU where a five-star is not just going to drop and come to KU, Mm -hmm. right? Like for for other schools like Alabama, Clemson, like – Those schools, they know, yeah, we'll probably get, you know, at least one five-star QB in the next couple years. So it's like, eh, you know, whatever. Well, that's not happening in Kansas, right? So you've got to have a plan, and you've got to know, hey, if we want to be a consistent six-to-eight win-to-nine win win team a year, potentially trying to, like I said, compete for conference championship games, you've got to have that figured out, and you've got to have a long-term plan. And Kansas did, and it felt like they were pretty secure for the next couple years, and now they feel maybe a little more shaky about it. But I don't think Lance Leifold's going to lose sleep over this tonight. But he might 12 months from now, 16 months from now. We'll see. Yeah, I mean, fast forward
0: a year. Let's say Kansas does go 9-3 and three this year. Jalen Daniels goes pro at the end of the year. Andy Kornicki gets a head coaching job elsewhere. There'll be a lot of uncertainty at the quarterback position. So, yeah, you said it earlier... It's not even close to a panic button. Like no. Uh, no no panic about this at all. It just creates more questions and more things that, for the future. to your point on Lance Leipold, the stress level in a month or something <laughs> or in 12 months, um, it just creates more things that you have to kind of figure out for the future yeah. and a little bit for uh, the short term. All right, he's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Matt Tate's going to join us in less than 20 minutes from right now. Let's talk about a uh, possible update on Hunter Dickinson next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. <laughs> Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We got KU Baseball coming at you tonight at 6, pregame 5.50 here on KLWN. That time, though, on a Tuesday as we're joined by one Matt Tate of the Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com here on RCST. Uh, before we get into some KU basketball offseason talk, a little KU football here, uh, the latest news today, Ethan Vasco is transferring out of the program uh, we kind of had the conversation me and Nick earlier in the show. Like, I, I wonder if this would affect, you know, the usage of Jason Bean. Will we see him less at some of the other positions to uh, for Ku to try to preserve that that he's healthy? Obviously, this has a long term impact on who the the potential future quarterback could be for Ku. Uh, what are kind of your thoughts on on where this leaves Ku right now and for the future at the quarterback position?
1: Yeah, I mean. You know, it's a third-string quarterback, so I think people are probably like, well, yeah, I kind of heard his name, right? Mm-hmm. I, I knew who he was, but, you know, whatever, not a big deal, right? And and I think that's fair, but I also think that everything that I've been kind of told and heard and discussed with people is that, you know, Vasco was a huge part of KU's future plans. So, you know, is this crippling? Is this, oh, my gosh, what are they going to do now? You know, no, it's nothing that dramatic, um, but I can almost guarantee that they would rather have had him stay than not. You know, so I think it's significant in that way. Um, I haven't talked to any of the coaches yet, but but I would also imagine that knowing those guys, they're probably, you know, understanding of the situation and rooting for the kid to go find a good spot and, and maybe a place where he can compete to be a starter. Or, you know, something like that. So it's it, it's probably one of those sort of mixed bag deals where you know they're, they're they hate to lose him, but they understand why he wants to go take a challenge and and see what he can do somewhere else. Um, and and as much as it's you know a bummer to to have to not you know move forward without him, um, I think they'll be just fine as long as obviously there's some you know consistency at that quarterback position with Jalen and and Jason Bean. So. Um, you know the the biggest thing that jumped out to me though when I first heard it i was I was pretty shocked, but when I first heard it was that that you know memory of of isaiah marshall, who's one of the top dual threat quarterbacks in the twenty twenty four class um, you know he they 've already got him committed, and that doesn 't necessarily mean he 's going to pan out we 've seen a lot of guys with a lot of uh hype and buzz and and all of that um come in and and not just to k u but to a million places. And not pan out, but um, he's a nice piece. He looks like a good get for the future, and and so you know maybe maybe that's a factor here too. Maybe that opens the door for him to to come in and and have a bigger role, maybe right away. Um, but you know the quarterback position is also not one you ever really stop recruiting. I mean, you'll you'll talk to coaches and and recruiting coordinators, and they'll tell you, yeah, we don't need a quarterback in this class, you know, or or we don't want one in that class or whatever. But like even with that being said they always keep their eyes open for what's out there because the position is so important. And so, um, you know, Vasco leaving is, is definitely not the most ideal of plans for KU, but it's also one of those things where they're in good shape this year and him leaving right now gives them a better chance to kind of prepare for life after Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean. rather than if he had stayed this year and, and decided to leave next year at this time, that that would have made it a lot harder. So, I, I think it's, uh, it, again, it's significant, but it's it's not like total disaster by any means. And, and it'll be really interesting to see where he ends up.
0: Well, now that that news is out there, there was the Demarion Alexander news. We, we saw, saw the spring showcase on Friday night. It's, it's officially the off season again for KU football. What do you becomes the biggest storyline now for KU football as we do head into the off season that will lead up once again to the fall?
1: Um, yeah, you know, first off, I think they had a really good spring. I think everybody would tell you that. I think they were very pleased with the work they put in. I think they were very pleased with the development of some guys and especially some young guys. I think they liked the, the program's response to their first taste of a bowl game in, you know, 15 years almost, right? They, like, there was no, there was no, oh, we did it. Cool. Let's just kick back now. No, there was, Let's go. Let's get. Let's make this a regular thing. Let's 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 you know strive for better than the Liberty Bowl. And, and I think just getting a taste of of the bowl game really did motivate these guys to to push even harder. So that was probably the most important thing about the spring. Um, and I think there are a lot of positions that look really solid. I think ultimately it's the same question coming out of spring that it was going in for me and that's you know how much can the defense improve um there's a lot of new faces on that side of the ball uh especially at linebacker and, and on the D line and 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 they lost a lot there too you know most notably Lonnie Phelps and and his you know ability to get after the quarterback and all that so to me it, it's you know how, how ready is that front seven going to be to step into uh, august ready to you know prepare for a game and and ultimately once september rolls around, ready to go out and play a game will will there be a little bit of a uh, i guess an adjustment period or whatever you would call it you know, where where this new look defense maybe has to get settled in for a few games before they they actually start to feel like they can play together or will they will they be there when camp rolls around and you know, if spring is any indication they it, it, it seems like they've got a real good chance to be there when camp rolls around. And if that's the case, then they start really putting it together and getting after it from there. So, um, to me, it's, it's, you know, the D lines, a big part of it, that, that edge rusher is a big part of it, but, but really just the defense as a whole is, is such a, a question still, because we know the offense is there. We know what the offense can put up. We've seen it, especially with Jalen Daniels healthy and, and running the show. So, that shouldn't be a concern for really anybody. But if the defense can't find a way to get some stops, then, then you're looking at going into a season where you're going to ask Jalen and, and the rest of that offense to not only stay healthy, not only stay fresh, but also, okay, you got to go put up 48 points for us to win. And, you know, that, that's not a good recipe no matter where you are. So um, the defense is so critical in their development and just what do they look like coming into, uh, into fall camp. That will be a huge, huge question for me.
0: Switching over to the basketball side of things, um, seems like there hasn't been a ton of late stuff on uh, KU. Do you think that's intentional here? Uh, When we look back at last year, like bringing Kevin McCuller over in the transfer portal, it feels like that just kind of came out of nowhere. Like it just popped up all of a sudden, this guy who was in the draft process and not only was it that there was interest from KU, but it's that he already had trimmed his finalists to like Gonzaga and Kansas. Uh, do you think that's kind of intentional, what's going on, that, that maybe we're not hearing a ton of names or uh, all these reported visits and interest with KU that they're just trying to kind of work a bit in the shadows here?
1: I think that's fair. Um, a couple of reasons. Number one, you know, I, I think the the fan perspective of the portal is, oh, my God, that guy's out there. Let's go get him. You know, and, and people get excited and they – they hear a big name that they recognize, or they wanted in the past, or whatever it is, and you know, all of a sudden, it's well, that'd be great. Let's, let's get him. And I understand that. That's what fans do, and that that's what they should do. But from the GM perspective, or the you know head coach perspective, or the roster construction perspective, I, I think what's most important to remember is these guys still have until May 11th to enter the portal. Right. So if you go out the last week of March or the first couple weeks of april and you say well okay i'll take him and i'll take him and i'll take him you know that that's like that's like taking the chocolate chip cookies at dessert on the on the buffet train and and it yeah they're good but next thing you know you get to the end and there's freaking cheesecake there and there's a boston cream pie (laughs) there and and you didn't even know that was going to be on the menu and so you're stuck with cookies and you load it up on 1500 calories worth of cookies. And you could have had that in two slices of, you know, amazing pie or or cheesecake or whatever it is. So I I think that that that's a, that's a cheesy analogy. Um, No pun intended there, but it is, it is kind of what happens. You know, you, you don't want to jump too fast, too quickly, too strong after a guy who, well, he'd be nice, you know, because it could be taking a spot from somebody that you'd rather have down the road that you don't even know is going to enter the portal yet. And that's hard to manage because, you know, how, how do you kind of prepare for the, the unknown of, well, could there be a guy, you know, I mean, that's, that's such a risky question, such a risky proposition, but I think that it's a it's a question that guys like you and me and 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 other people covering this have to answer a lot a lot harder than than maybe the coaches. These coaches talk, they talk to assistant coaches, they talk to each other, they talk to ads, they talk to parents, they talk to you know agents, right? Collective guys now too. I mean, there's there's so much information flowing behind uh, the the. the the surface level or below the surface level that allows a guy like Bill Self or a guy like Scott Drew or a guy like Jerome Tang to kind of well okay there's a we're hearing there's a chance that X Y or Z is going to come into the portal well maybe we'll wait for him maybe that's the guy that fits perfectly for us and if he doesn't then you figure it out from there but um, I, I think that stuff's happening and I think it's important and I think it's a really important part of the process and I think that creates this sort of lull that that maybe people feel and, and people panic over because at at this point, especially at a place like Kansas, unless it's just a home run fit like like if Kevin McCullough were in the portal this year and he entered into the portal march twenty ninth well then you'd know you want him right? like he's the perfect fit, that's who we want that's what we need let's go get him you know that that's different than than uh well he'd fit or we need a couple of guards or a couple of shooters, you know because it's just so hard to know if what's out there right now is exactly you know the, the best of the best that you could get. And 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 when you're Kansas, you know that you can get the best of the best. You know that pretty much anybody who enters the portal, if you're interested in them, they're probably going to take a call from you. You know they're they're going to at least have a discussion with you. They're going to say, "Look, look, I'm interested in what Kansas has to offer." It doesn't mean that that's the right fit. It doesn't mean they end up coming to. Kansas, it may not even go past that phone call, but I think Kansas has that ability to open that, that line of communication that not every school has. So to me that the, the patience is is such an important part of this whole process. And and it's hard for fans to be patient. It's hard for coaches to be patient. And, and you know, they, they get their hopes up of, well, you know, there's not a lot great out there right now, but let's give it a week and see what else comes in. and And look, we've already seen evidence of that happening, right? Like, a couple of weeks ago, no one would have ever known that Hunter Dickinson was going to be in the portal, and now he's in the portal. He's a top dog. He's a big-time commodity, and every program in America would love to take him, including Kansas. So um, you, 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 you have to adjust as it goes, too.
0: If they do land Hunter Dickinson at this point in time, which, which I don't know, you know what the percentage chances of, of that happening would be at this point, but if they do the rest of the off season it doesn't matter what happens like it's a success right
1: sorry you cut out for a second there can you can you try yeah, it again if, I, I heard if they do land him but i didn't hear the end
0: if they land him the off season no matter what happens from there it's a success at that
1: point right oh for sure yeah i mean you know self in his in his first presser there with with uh you know a bunch of media in the room and and you were obviously there and, and you know the the after the first time he talked, since he had his heart condition or heart, heart episode or whatever people are calling it, I mean, he joked in there that, well, we'd like to find a big guy that could average 20 and 10. And if I'm not mistaken, that was before Dickinson was in the portal uh, officially. So, you know, okay, ha-ha, everybody laughs. Of course you would. Who doesn't want that guy? And then a day or so later, whenever the timing was on that, this guy's in the portal, and there's your 20 and 10 guy. So, yeah, if you if you could land him – you know, regardless of whatever else you pick up, and and look, Ku's going to have to pick up more portal guys. I mean, they just they have spots now, and they lost a lot, and uh, and and it's a it's a really good position to be in, I think, because they've got a strong core, they've got a strong freshman class, and and then they can add to it with the guys that fit out of the portal, and uh, yeah. So at that point, if, if you land Dickinson and and two or three other guys that none of us have ever heard of still a wild success because that guy could be all big 12 that guy could be all American that guy could be the cornerstone the central focus of everything you do really on both ends of the floor I mean um I haven't watched him a ton, so I don't know exactly, you know, where he sits defensively. I know he's a big body. I know he's, you know, a guy that can attack the ball off the glass, things like that. Um, I don't know what type of rim protector he really is, but he's, but he's long and he's big and physical and, you know, you'd take that and and hope that he can learn how to play defense in your system. So, um, right there, you're looking at, you know, a prime, prime piece that, that, um, can turn your team from pretty darn good to uh, you know a top five preseason team and and, and a true contender and and uh, yeah you, you, I, I mean I think they need to go for him I think they need to throw everything they possibly can at him and and use Remy Martin as an example and use Kevin McCullar as an example and say like hey we don't go to the portal all that often but when we do we we, we find impact guys and they usually lead us to pretty good things and, and if uh, if that's what he's looking for then. I can't think of a better place to come than Kansas right now, especially because you know that after a year of being undersized and 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 playing small and 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 having to deal with not having that true post presence like Self did last season, um, getting a guy like that back um, and and returning to that style with with that guy. Right? Uh, he's going to throw you the ball every time. He's going to throw you the ball every time. I mean, he you know he missed it. And, and he also has the best point guard in the country to execute those orders because Dewan Harris wants to pass every time. So it's it's a really good mix and it's a really good fit for, for Dickinson um, provided the the, the connection to the coaching staff and the players and the family vibe and the culture and all those things provided that all fit. Um, he could do a heck of a lot worse than coming to KU and, and um, you know, I don't know anything. I, I haven't talked to him, um, but I, I'd, I'd, I'd be willing to say that KU's probably in his top two or three at the, at the very least.
0: Well, uh, we are getting ready to start RCST trivia again next week. I, I haven't heard yet from, uh, or one ryan goodwin uh, on whether he's going to join the event or not uh do you have any expectations w- of what he would be able to do if i do let him back into the tournament
1: well there's a couple of things to factor in there number one he was such an embarrassment last year at such a high seed and and you know just to flop like he did was um i mean uh, you know i don't want i don't want to say anything but I'll, I'll say this in the in, in the friend group that we run around with i mean we've started calling him fairly dickinson because you know that's basically what what he did he he was purdue and and fdu got him and that's life you know so he's just gonna have to live with that the rest of his life really so um i, I, I what i know about him is that he's not one to, to you know go hide after that he's kind of uh, like tony bennett you know yeah we took the loss as the 16 losing or you know the one losing to the 16 but but we're going to own it and we're going to hold our heads up and we're going to come back stronger. And so I think that's, I think that's Ryan. And I think he has a chance to, to to be that kind of guy. Um, The other thing that, that you know, and that, that I would factor in here too, is uh, Baker baseball is actually winning right now. And, they actually look pretty good and he kind of has his hands full coaching a team that, that he may, you know, think he should not screw up. So it wouldn't (laughs) surprise me at all. If he, if he, you know, just doesn't have the time to really devote to it. But as you know, as we talked about last year, I mean, if if he's got the time and he wants in and he wants to redeem himself, you got to let him in because this is a dude studies for this stuff. And I know a lot of your guys do. You can't win that thing without being ready. Um, but, my gosh, I've seen him study, and it's the damnedest thing, man. He prepares with just the most random stuff, and he yeah. thinks he knows you a little bit, so he thinks he's in your head a little, and <laughs> he thinks, oh, I know Derek's going to ask this because he's a bastard, you know, or whatever. <laughs> it doesn't really happen, and, and then he usually over overprepares or, or psychs himself out. But either way, he... You know, he's worth the price of admission um, because, you know, one of two things is going to happen. He's either going to kill it and be really impressive and and really wow the crowd with his trivia knowledge, or he's going to fall so hard on his face that that, too, is going to be entertaining. So you got to let him in if he wants in. And, uh, you know, I'll I'll probably buzz him here after this and, and, uh, you know, start calling him out and asking him why he's scared. And and all that that you do to your best friends.
3: Matt, right, if there's one place you don't want to be, it's in Derek's head. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you do not want to be there. That's
1: right. It's a crazy place you, you up there. Ever, <laughs> you can never get out of that. You can never, you know. There's a lot going on in there. And and look, when you're when you're a guy like Derek Johnson, and you're doing 400 things at once, and you know, doing them all at such a high level and impressing everyone everywhere you go. I mean. You can't turn it off. You have to be on always. So um, I'm I'm very, very happy to know you, Derek, and uh, more so happy to to let you, uh, or have you let me rip on Ryan Goodwin semi regularly here on this show. It's wonderful.
0: <laughs> there we go. Well, Matt, I appreciate the time as always, man. You can check out all his work, LJ World, KUSports.com. Appreciate it. Talk to you next week.
1: Of course. Thanks, guys. Have a great week.
0: All right, that's Matt Tate, Lawrence Journal World, KUSports.com. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. One hour down, two to go. This is RCST on KLWN, depending on it. Four o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. It is all about confidence. Confidence knowing that you'll be ready to go when your partner is, and confidence knowing you'll be able to go a few extra rounds when needed. Confidence is what you get with the chewables from BlueChew.com. So if you could benefit from extra confidence when it's time to perform, visit BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but in a chewable form, and at just a fraction of the cost because the tablets are made in the USA. They prepare and ship direct, so cheaper than a pharmacy, and you won't even have to go into the pharmacy. You also don't have to have any awkward conversations, no visits to the doctor's office. Uh, no dealing with all sorts of things that are gonna, you know, throw a mess into your day to where um, you're gonna have all sorts of stuff, you know, to do. Now you don't have to worry about that because it's an online prescription service. You sign up at Bluetooth.com, consult with the licensed medical provider. Once you're approved, you'll receive your prescription within days, all done online. Here's a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code RCST at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's it. BlueChew.com promo code RCST to receive your first month for free. Okay, so uh, we have a top 10 list that we're going to get to you on today's edition of the show. And uh, Grady Dick obviously going pro for KU. That means he gets added to the list of... All time, Bill Self one and duns. The list was actually shorter than I thought. Not not a lot shorter. I yeah. I, I thought when I went back and looked at this, there was going to be maybe fifteen guys, and maybe I could have counted guys who I guess technically is is Quentin um, Grimes a one and done <laughs> at Kansas? Like he wasn't a college basketball I mean, one and done. He was one and done at Kansas, at right? Kansas. As a freshman. So I guess I could have counted something like no, that. No, no. But I I'm didn't. not going to let you count that. No, I didn't. Uh, they had to be Kansas one and done. So they come in. Spend their freshman season and then they go. And so I was surprised there were only nine
3: of them. There were only nine, yeah. not as many as I thought. Honestly, that's not that surprising because a lot of people do think of yeah. the blue bloods as one and done schools, but Kansas is the exception to that. Like Kentucky's had probably twenty to twenty five guys be one and done over the last twenty years. Duke has had a lot recently, but that's never really been Bill self style. That's he's never really been one to recruit those types of guys. Yeah. Right? Like like, the, the, he's been more of a developmental guy. Guys like David McCormick, guys like Ochai, guys like Frank Mason, Devontae Graham. Guys who were ended up being great players, but weren't one-and-done types. Right. Um, so, I did throw Ben McElmore into this list,
0: because there was nine, That's That's and I was like, you know, we got to get to a perfect round 10, right? <laughs> you don't so, want to do a top nine list? <laughs> no, I did not. So, I mean, I, I know technically Ben McElmore, not a one-and-done, but for the sake of playing as a freshman and then going, like that was his only year of play. So, we are going to count him for the sake of this list. I do I do think it makes it a little more interesting using Ben macklemore too, because... I think, realistically, you could put him anywhere from, like, number one through number five on the list. Yeah. Which, I think, the case, like, really the top five or six on this list are really, I think, close together, and you can have an argument for each and every one of them. But Yeah. All right. With that being said, into the list. Number 10. Top 10 Bill Self one-and-done freshman. Sheck Diallo. Uh, Sheck Diallo. uh, Yeah. It's just... It was one of those things where when they first got him when he committed it was like this huge deal they were going into that 2015-16 season so the previous year was the second round loss to Wichita State it was their second straight second round loss but it was kind of like a you're gonna have like everyone back you know you had had Frank Mason coming back for his junior year Devontae for his sophomore year Wayne Seldon was coming back for his junior year Perry Ellis was coming back for his senior year to where it was like yeah, this team his, could be really good next his year. His 20th senior year. Right. And then it was like, but who's going to play center? And at that point, Landon Lucas had not emerged yet. That didn't happen until really that following, like, January of that next season. Hunter Mickelson, that year was the the year they went to the World University Games. Hunter Mickelson was, like, the starting center. Uh, they would throw Jamari Trailer out there, Landon Lucas out there. It just felt like there wasn't, you know, consistency. Who is the center going to be? And it was like, well, if they can find that one center, this team could be the best team in the country. And then it was like boom, they got Sheck Diallo. They're going to be the best team in the country. And that was a huge deal. It was top ten recruit or whatever he well, was. I don't know, top yeah. fifteen. Yeah. Um, and then he had the early season suspension because of like having to pay back. Like it was something ridiculous, like two hundred dollars. He got suspended for even though he like paid it back. Uh, so it was, it was really stupid. But then I remember the first game he came out and he threw down this like cocked back dunk in transition, which you were like, that's a center and it was like, Oh my gosh, this guy's going to be awesome. And then it wasn't awesome. Um, (laughs) a quick flame out. Yeah, he ended up only playing in 27 of the team's games, seven and a half minutes per game, averaged three points, two and a half rebounds per game, about a block. You know, solid efficiency numbers. If you extrapolate everything out and you turned him into like a 30-minute-per-game player, he'd be averaging like 12 points, 10 rebounds, four blocks. That's good stuff, but he was obviously not doing it, and obviously he had high potential. He ended up going to the draft after the year, being a second round pick, a high second round pick. He's stuck around in the NBA, and he's had a nice little career, but it never came around to Kansas, and that was uh, certainly a little bit bit unfortunate but uh that's why he's number 10 on this list. Any any qualms? Any no, debates? no, I
3: think that's I think that's fine. I mean, listen for a guy who as lit as he was and for how little of an impact he had, I think that's fair. Well, I think um among the rest of the one and done freshmen I'm going to get to,
0: I think Sheck Diallo is the one who was never really in the rotation.
3: Like yeah. he he wasn't in the tr- the, the Bill Self trust. Well, and I think as we go through this list, we're going to run into a conversation of Are they that high on the list or are they in that spot on the list because of what they did at Kansas or because of what they did after Mm -hmm. with the benefit of hindsight?
0: Yeah. Okay, number nine on the list is Josh Selby. Started 11 games, played in 26, played 20 minutes a game. The efficiency number is not great. He averaged eight points per game, two assists, two rebounds, only shot 37% from the field, did shoot 36% from three. Um, I, I do have a soft spot a little bit because I, I do think he's given a bad rap. He he had to play with, uh, it was like a broken toe or something like that to where he had to have like a steel toe and he had to wear like a shoe size like uh, on, on whichever foot he had the issue. Like two sizes too big just to fit it into the shoe. Like I, I do think he was dealing with, with some of that injury stuff. But yeah, the efficiency wasn't great. That's why he's number nine on this list. No issues there. All right. And another guy kind of, I mean, his more so than Scheck Diallo. Like, Sheck's was just the arrival with the dunk. Selby's was the arrival with the full game. Like, his career high, I think, for points was in his first game coming against USC. And it was like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to be amazing. That that is a lesson, by the way. Quentin Grimes, we brought up earlier, his first game, Champions Classic, Michigan State goes off, hits every three. Check the <laughs> hits the dunk. Like let's let's evaluate freshmen starting on the second time we see.
3: No, them. we should do it the first game, and that should be it.
0: <laughs> okay, order evaluation. I like that.
3: All right, um, number eight on the
0: list is one Cliff Alexander. I I think you could probably swap. Um, the two of those between Selby and Alexander if you wanted and you wouldn't really have a qualm for me the reason though I have Alexander in front of him I just think he was more efficient now Selby was more in the rotation but Alexander still played about 17 minutes a game started six played 28 averaged seven points five and a half rebounds over a block per game he was I I think he almost gets lumped in with uh sometimes thinking back to like Sheck Diallo where it's like yeah neither of them really played or impacted much yeah he was playing and he was like he, he wasn't an all big 12 player or anything but like he was a solid contributor for you he gave you something that that, that team didn't really have a ton of in terms of that inside physicality and uh, athleticism down low um that was the team that ended up losing to Wichita State and he was like suspended for the past couple weeks of the season he missed the NCAA tournament I don't know how much it would have had an impact like clearly
3: that Kansas team wasn't like that good um yeah I think that plus the combination of what you alluded to the fact that he wasn't there for the NCAA tournament like makes him really easy makes it really easy to forget or be like ah you know he didn't really do much but yeah, I mean, he did have an impact, and he he played some, right? So it's not like he just wasn't there at all. Yeah. All right, into the
0: top seven. These are guys that, that I think start to hit a little bit more. Uh, number seven is Kelly Oubre. Ended up being the 15th overall pick in the draft the next year. Had a slow start, was coming off the bench early in the season. Then he really came on toward the end of the year. He ended up starting 27 games. He um, – Ended up playing in in thirty six for KU. This was also the team that lost in the second round to Wichita State. Finished playing twenty one minutes per game. Shot forty four percent from the floor. Thirty six from three. Averaged nine points, five rebounds per game. He had a couple like nice like kind of blow up type performances where he was really good. And when you look at just the stats when when he became a starter, uh, they start start to look a little bit better too. Um, he's someone who. I think if he would have like, and obviously this was the right decision for him, he ended up being the fifteenth overall pick in the draft and everything. But he would have been someone if he would have came back for his sophomore season. Like he, he might have ended up being an all-American. So uh, in in the games yeah. that he started, the twenty-seven games he started, played twenty-four minutes per game in those, averaged eleven points, six rebounds, steal and a half per game, thirty-seven percent from three, and forty-five percent from the floor. Like he was a he was a good player for yeah. you.
3: You think if Kelly Ubre was a freshman in twenty twenty-three? He might come back with nil, you know. If you're, I mean, if you're sitting at like the fifteenth pick range of the draft, you're seeing more guys that are in maybe that later range of the draft to just come back for a sophomore season. I don't think so.
0: I think that's too close to like where Grady is going. But he certainly would have been a very marketable yeah. guy. He he had a very uh, energetic personality and stuff. Um, and I and yeah, I I think that it'd be interesting to see how they would use him now. Uh, less to me about nil stuff would he have been like a small ball four? You know, because for that team, he was yeah. three-man, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Uh,
3: but yeah, he was good, but
0: I don't think... I, I think these I think top you, six really separate themselves. If you put
3: him next to Jalen, he would have been the three, I think. With Jaylen's I would three, agree with that.
0: Yeah. Uh, but I'm like trying to think. Like, if you put him in Josh Jackson's <coughs> shoes, like if you sub out Kelly Oubre for Josh Jackson, is he playing the four on that team? Mm, maybe. I mean, it's either him or what? Legerald Vick <laughs> or Svee <laughs> or something? I think he probably is. Hey, uh, he
3: was dominant when he had to play a 4 on <laughs> <up> top <laughs>
0: yeah but his junior year not as good anyway number (laughs) 6 Xavier Henry he ended up being the 12th overall pick in the draft and and he to me gets forgotten a lot because that Kansas team like this is what I hope does not happen with Grady Dick so Grady Dick was on a really good team got a 1 seed they get upset in the second round Xavier Henry was on a really great team had a really efficient good overall freshman season they lost in the second round and he doesn't really get brought up as much in the conversation of great all time one and duns at Kansas but I mean if you have a freshman who comes in and gives you 13.5 points per game, 4.5 rebounds per game, steal and a half, shoots 46% from the floor, 42% from three-point range, and starts every game on a team that gets the number one overall seed in the NCAA tournament, that is a really,
3: really I good mean, season. those numbers are as good or even better in some cases than what Grady Dick did. Yeah. So, yeah. But I mean, you I, you I,
0: notice I have not said Grady Dick's name yet. I, I mm. did notice. <laughs> I did notice. Okay, so Xavier Henry's in at number six. Let's just parlay this into my number five guy because that okay. is Grady Dick. So we okay. can have this comparison. So, Grady this year also started all 36 games for a team that was a one seed. I think the 2010 team probably better than this year's team, though. Uh, nonetheless, Grady Dick averaged 14.1 points per game, Xavier Henry 13.4. So, slight check mark for Grady Dick. Okay. Grady at 5.1 rebounds per game, Henry at 4.4. Now, I will say. Henry played about five less minutes per game, so do keep that in mind. Uh, Grady averaged 1.7 assists. Henry was at 1.5. Steals both at about one and a half per game. You look at the two-point shooting, 48% for Grady, 49% for Henry, 42% from three for Henry, 40% from three for Grady. So, actually, the more I talk about this... Are you changing your mind? Should it be, Henry? Oh, boy. Here's why why I, I had... Grady Dick to begin with. Here was my initial gut feel, which I guess I'll just stick with it. Yes. With Xavier Henry, some of the numbers there are better. Efficiency a little bit better. When you look at what his role was on that team, they had Sharon Collins... They had Cole Aldridge. Those he are two was, All-Americans. He was not asked to do Correct. as much. You still had the Morris Twins. You had Tyshawn Taylor. Yeah. He was loaded, right? He was basically asked to fit into a specific role. And Grady, to a certain extent, was. He was asked to be the shooter on this team. But he kind of was the number
3: two guy Yes. behind Jalen Wilson. Yes, he was, I think, uh, undoubtedly the number two guy.
0: So I, I think that's why I give it to Grady because I, I think in my he mind... He was asked
3: to shoulder more.
0: If you put Grady on, in Xavier Henry's role, I mean, he might shoot 45 48% from three. Yeah. He's getting open more. Because he, sure. it's harder to, uh, you know, face guard him against that team. So that's why I have Grady at number five and Xavier. No, I, think,
3: I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I think that's a good argument. Grady was asked to do a lot more, I think, on this team than Xavier Henry was. And and Grady answered the bell for the most part. I mean, he had a couple games where he where he kind of disappeared, but for the most part, he was a reliable go to guy for Kansas, which listen, that's that's tough to ask. And not every freshman can do can do that. To the
0: top four, who do I have ahead of one Grady Dick? I don't know. This might be too low for this guy. Okay. Andrew Wiggins at number four.
3: Yeah, I kind of think this might be too low. All right. Well, uh, let's let's talk about it. So... He was the number one option. Yeah, number one option. He did so much. He was. Scored over 40 points in a game. Just insane.
0: Ended up being the number one pick. Yep. Um, so... Th- this is tough for me because, yeah, just by raw numbers, he, he broke like the freshman scoring record. Clearly, I think, should be ahead of Grady Dick there. You're looking at more points. You're looking at being a much better defender. Uh, the efficiency was better than I remembered it being, 45% from the field, 49 from two, 34 from three for Andrew Wiggins, about 78 at the foul line. Um, so I I definitely think, to me, it is ahead of Grady, especially because of the defensive side of the ball and being that number one option. It gets tough with kind of the top guys for me. Okay. And we'll we'll get into the, the the next guy on the list and, and we can kinda of talk about like why I had this guy above him if we want. Um but just in terms of why Wiggins is up, I guess, this high to begin with, yeah, it is because he, he you know, he broke the the freshman scoring record at Kansas. And I don't know if anybody has, has surpassed that sense like in terms of total points.
3: Yeah, I mean if you're looking at it from a pure volume standpoint, he's number one, mm-hmm. right? I mean, but you take into account of the other factors. But yeah, from a per, from a pure volume standpoint and getting drafted number one overall and, and being kind of everything that he was advertised as coming in, he pretty much checked all those marks. And obviously, that team ended up losing the second round too, but they had injuries and whatnot. And but Wiggins himself fulfilled his what his personal kind of yeah. expectations were. I do think that him going out with a
0: four-point game against Stanford in that second-round outing maybe that leaves a sour taste in my mouth and in other people's mouths as. Part of this rating and, and that's one where you know I talked about if you put Grady on that 2010 team what does it look like does it help him or hurt Him with Wiggins yeah. You know if he's on a better team does that help Or hurt him mm, Like, like, I guess like it could hurt it would hurt his numbers It would probably. hurt his numbers right and, yeah. and maybe It helps some of the efficiency but I don't know about as much as a guy like Grady Who is yeah. kind of more to that role yeah. So let's get into the top three and, and we can debate Whether Wiggins should be higher or lower than these guys uh, Ben McLemore, I have it number three In this list so if we're just comparing the red shirt freshman. Yes. If we're just comparing <laughs> Wiggins at 17 points per game, Macklemore at 16. Uh for what it's worth, both both played about 32 and a half, 33 minutes per game. So the minutes is about equal there. So Wiggins has him on points. Wiggins at uh, let's see, 5.9 rebounds per game. Macklemore 5.2. So that has him again, but both of those are very close. Macklemore two assists per game, Wiggins at one and a half. You know, steals one for Macklemore, 0.7 blocks per game. Wiggins at 1.2 and 1. So all the numbers are very, very close there. You give a slight edge to some of the numbers for Macklemore. In terms of the efficiency, Wiggins shot 49% on two-point shots. Ben Macklemore shot 55%. Wow. Wiggins shot 34% from three. Macklemore shot 42%. Wiggins shot 78% from the free throw line. Macklemore shot 87%.
3: The three-point shooting is really the eye-popping one, I think.
0: Yeah, it is, 100%. Um, If we look at, like, effective field goal percentage, which takes into account, like, oh, threes are worth more and all that stuff, Macklemore was at 58.6%. Wiggins was at 49.9%. And, yes, I think you could say, well, Macklemore had a better surrounding cast. He had Jeff Withey, and he had more veteran players, like Elijah Johnson was veteran. Wiggins didn't have the luxury of having those veterans to help him along. But Macklemore was also the number one option for that team. Just as Wiggins was for his team. Now yeah. again, it's it's a little closer between the number one and number two and number three options. You have Relliford and stuff too, but he was still the number one option. And the efficiency is way better than with Andrew Wiggins. So to me, plus you look at that team being better, which again isn't all Andrew Wiggins' fault. You had more veteran
3: players. I think Ben McElmore. I, I like it above Wiggins there. Yeah, when you really start to break it down, it is more close a lot closer than I thought it was gonna be in my head. Between the two of them, but I, I think you still have to give it to Macklemore because of his efficiency and what he was able to do. And and yeah, I mean, I guess it's it's not really necessarily Wiggins' fault that he didn't have uh, some of that some of what Macklemore had. But like, like we just talked about, if you if you swap those guys on their team respectively, does Wiggins kind of get worse maybe? I mean, it's not a guarantee. Like, whereas I think McElmore probably would be the same guy, right?
0: Yeah. I think he puts up maybe 20 points per game on that team, you know? Because yeah. yeah. there's less options. So I, I went McElmore number three. Number two, this one is where the controversy, I think, is the biggest. Yes. I have Joel Embiid in at number two. And this is less of a number situation. So Embiid, yeah. uh, I mean, he, uh, numbers are good. 11 points, 8 rebounds per game, 2.5 blocks per game, 64% on two-point shots. But he only played 23 minutes per game. But also if you look at how he played toward the end of the season when he was like a more full-time player, the numbers would be more in line with some of the top guys. And I didn't even remember this. He won Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year.
3: <laughs> and then you look at what he's done in the NBA. I know that doesn't really matter here, but I yeah, guess this is This is definitely the one on the list where you lean more into the hindsight of what he has done since then. Because it's
0: impossible to see what... I mean, he might win the MVP this year.
3: It's obvious that he was a generational talent, a guy that was a game-breaking type player with his skill set and whatnot. And yeah, this one you lean more into, well, look at what he's done in the NBA, right? Like some of these other guys have been high draft picks, but they haven't done what Joel Embiid has done, right? So... That's where this comes into play because, again, going back to the Wiggins discussion, if you just look at the raw numbers, Embiid's like 6th or 7th on this list mm-hmm. probably, right? But knowing what his impact was in the short time that he was you know, healthy and whatnot and, and then what he's done in the NBA, I, I would maybe put Wiggins and Macklemore above him. Maybe put him mm-hmm. at the 4 spot. Maybe even put, I would maybe even
0: put Grady above him, honestly. See, here's my thing for why I have him beat, at least in, in front of Wiggins. To me, he was more impactful on that team. That team making a deep run when he was playing, he was the guy. He played one game in March before his injury. He had 13 points, 13 rebounds, three steals, a block, and he shot 67%. You think Bill Self
3: would take that today?
0: <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think that would do. Yeah, like I, I think by the time, if if you're viewing the the total body of work of the one season, you're probably right. Yeah, Wiggins yeah. and but I mean, had You But
3: to taking into account injuries, and, that's and what I'm just saying. How raw he was in his development over the course. of you the season. You look at what
0: he did in the last two, three months of the season. You know that that was a guy that you know in Big Twelve play he averaged eleven and a half points, nine rebounds, two and a half blocks, shot sixty percent from the floor. He was a force. Yeah. He was to me the most impactful player on that team, and. It is such a big difference if they would have had him in the tournament, what they could have done that season. I think this one is less about the numbers. This is more about just pure impact for me, why I have him at number two.
3: Yes. Yeah. I mean that that all makes sense, right? And you're right. I mean, it's it's tough to look at the whole season and say, Well, look at what he did for the whole season. The dude right. broke his foot. Yeah. And and on top of that, he was still like learning basketball. For right. Like- well, you're it's like, like the first half you can of the go either
0: way with the injury. Do you give him more credit because of what we saw they looked like without him? Or do you give him less credit because, you know, if you're evaluating the full season, he played less games? I don't know. But yeah. I put him at number two. Yeah, Number one, though, is Josh Jackson. Um, 16 points per game, seven and a half rebounds, three assists. Steal and a half over a block per game. Fifty-five percent on twos, thirty-eight percent on three point shots. He had some takeover games in there, like the Texas Tech game. He uh was all big twelve in twenty seventeen, ended up being a top five pick in the draft. He was a perfect fit. He allowed KU to play that kind of small ball like that was really the first time that we yeah. saw self go into that and if you didn't have a swing man like josh jackson at the four they wouldn't have not they wouldn't have been nearly as effective now yeah. am i giving him too much credit because he did get to play with a really good supporting cast including national player of the year frank mason
3: maybe but like 16 points per game is 16 points per game right yeah. <laughs> like like, well, like man, switch
0: just- him and andrew wiggins I think there's some similarities there. Athletic wings, yeah. who Wiggins on this team played better. I think would have done
3: even better because he showed that. I he mean, he just Wiggins had that too, like, bleep like, you
0: mentality that yeah. I think helped him as a freshman.
3: Yes. Yes.
0: Average more rebounds,
3: average more assists, average more steals. Josh was really freaking and I think, good. And I think between Josh and, and Andrew Wiggins, Josh Jackson maybe had a bit more of that, uh, as a freshman, had a bit more of that killer instinct in him.
0: Yes. And I think that's what it is. If you put Jackson on that other team, like he might average 20 points per game yeah. on that other team because he does have that killer instinct. Um, he had some big NCAA tournament games. You know, the, the Oregon game sucked because he got in foul trouble. Um, but, you know, overall, he was unbelievable, really from the word go for KU. He allowed him to play a certain way. The numbers stack up and are better than, if you just look at the raw numbers, than both like Macklemore and Wiggins on the wing. Um You look at what he did in the NCAA tournament. He averaged 16 points, 8.5 rebounds per game, two steals, shot 53%. He was really, really good. Um, And I I forgot how athletic he was. I was watching some highlights of him the other day with (laughs) KU. So he's at number one. All right, that is our top 10 Bill Self, one-and-done freshman. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Kevin Flaherty joins us in a little. This is RCST on KLWN, Depend on it.
3: Welcome back into Rock Talk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer, Derek Johnson, on the road for KU Baseball, which is coming up at 6 o'clock. You can hear that game right here on KLWN. But the show goes on, and the show right now brings on a great friend and an excellent mind as well in the world of sports, one and only Kevin Flaherty from 247 Sports. Kevin, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm
2: doing well. Excited for this uh, edition of Nick's. Nick Chalk Sports Talk. That's right.
3: Nick Chalk Sports Talk when Derek is gone, so uh, we are officially in the in the new era. We're going to change the name, change the branding. Uh, i got to get on social media and change everything there, so we're, we are in the process. Don't worry. But uh, anyways, much more important <laughs> news besides Nick Chalk Sports Talk is uh, kind of the big news of the day for KU football is Ethan Vasco transferring out of the program, and Derek and I talked about on the show earlier where it doesn't really feel like it should impact much this season, but I guess, Kevin... In the long term, for Kansas, who is a program that's trying to build at that consistent level, Vasco kind of seemed like a guy who was maybe could be a starter in the next couple of years. I guess, long term wise, how much do you think that a move like this might affect K football?
2: Yeah, I think that when you when you look at it down the line, I, I think most of us would like to to sort of ride Jalen Daniels in with Penn for the next two years. But you know, not everybody uses that extra year of COVID eligibility and. And I think even beyond that, if Jalen has a big year, like a lot of people are projecting, if he has a healthy year after the couple of years that he's had injuries, you know, potentially this this could be his last year in Lawrence. And so to be able to have Ethan Basco already in the program, you know, a guy who goes through a couple of years, who knows the system, those are the guys you used to be able to count on as first-time starters because they've been through it. You know, it used to be, hey, you know, we're starting this redshirt junior quarterback and I guess that the transfer portal has changed a lot of that and Kansas does have a really good quarterback committed in the uh, 2024 class in uh, Isaiah Marshall but at the same time you don't just need one quarterback for one thing I think Kansas has had one quarterback start every single game of the season twice since 2010 So, you want to have multiple quarterbacks who can win you games. And even beyond that, you wanted to have somebody there who is capable of pushing Isaiah Marshall, you know, when Jalen Daniels does leave. I think the other part of it is it's maybe a little bit easier to stomach now because you can go into the transfer portal, bring in somebody who maybe fills that need as well. But at the same time, you know, the ability to have somebody like Vasco who had gone through multiple seasons, you know, really understood what the coaches wanted, understood the culture, all of those different things, that would have been a plus, you know. But uh, but it's hard to blame the kid for, for transferring out and maybe wanting to go somewhere where he gets a chance to see the field earlier or maybe has a little bit more guaranteed line to the field than he would at Kansas.
3: The spring showcase was on Friday night, which means KU football is technically back into off season or the summer season. I guess for you, Kevin, what what do you think now becomes the biggest storyline for KU football over this summer period? is before we get into the fall and the start of next season. You
2: no, know, it's so interesting because I, I think for Kansas, it, it it sounds like not a lot, but it's really help, right? I mean, you. You look at a program that you had some, some injuries at key positions a year ago. You had a spring where a lot of guys were, were beaten up and, and that's certainly not individual to Kansas. You know, I talked to a coach at, at another division one school actually today and he was talking about how banged up they were and it kind of compounds in the spring, right? Because guys don't need to go. They don't necessarily need to practice. So let's say you've got five running backs. If two of them are in a spot where you're not really wanting them to take reps, that's fine. But then you have three guys taking the rest of those reps. Those reps can pile up. Those guys can be a little bit more injury prone because of that. And so Kansas was really banged up this spring and was banged up part of last year. You know, I don't know if you remember specifically, but the Baylor game last year, Kansas was without its starting quarterback and Jalen Daniels. There was, they were, Daniel Hyshaw, who was leading the team in rushing before he got hurt, but they were also without Luke Grimm, who was leading the team in receptions to that point. And so it makes it really tough to go and win a road Big 12 game when you're without your top weapon at each of those three positions, arguably. And so I think that's going to be the big thing for Kansas Is the staff has really been trying to build depth, you know, and I think they've done a pretty good job of it. But the biggest thing is, is if Kansas could get a clean bill of health heading into fall camp, if they could have a clean bill of health through the season, I don't, I don't think there's any reason that Kansas can't exceed maybe what people think they have a chance to do. Just because Kansas won six games last year and did so with with so many injuries and injuries at, at key spots, you know, what what are they going to be able to do if they can? get a full season from Jalen Daniels, a full season from that running back group, and, and a full season from their wide receivers. I, I think there's a chance for a real breakout-type season if that happens.
3: Well, on the basketball side of things, there's been a lot of movement in the transfer portal, except for one team. That's Kansas. Are, are you surprised <laughs> Are you surprised or concerned at all that KU has, has not made a move or, or picked up any commits yet? Does, does that concern you at all?
2: Well, I kind of joked around, I think, yesterday because uh, our, our own Michael Swain, you know, was asked on a scale of one to ten, how concerned are you? And he said it, two. And I think he had given me a, a one a few days before that. And so I joked around that, you know, he had doubled in, in terms of how nervous he was. And so trouble was coming. But now it's it's still so early. And, and I get that. There are some just giant names out there, you know, a guy like Hunter Dickinson, where you look at him and you say, hey, if Kansas gets this guy, you know, it's, it's to the moon, and, and I understand that. But there are also a lot of guys who enter into the transfer portal maybe a little bit later, and guys who maybe go into the NBA draft, you know, pooled, they don't necessarily like their feedback, and instead of coming back to school, they enter – the uh, the transfer portal at this point. You know, we didn't know at this point last year that Kevin McCullough was was going to be there for Kansas. And so I think it, it's really easy to see some of the guys picking different places. You see Houston, you know, picking up a couple transfers. You see Brandon Murray going to, to Ole Miss and, and some of the other really big-time guys, Tremont Mark to Arkansas. And it's easy to feel like you're getting left out, and, and Kansas does need a big transfer class to kind of fill out this group. But at the same time, I, I think it's just so early to to start freaking out or, or fretting that hey, a lot of these guys are considering other places, they aren't going to our school, et cetera. And, and so, you know, my my worry level would probably be pretty low at this point too.
3: Yeah, I think the Hunter Dickinson situation brings up an interesting discussion for Kansas specifically where when you look at what they need, you would think shooting is, is pretty important. But I guess for me with Hunter Dick- with Hunter Dickinson stuff, do you feel like Kansas needs to get a big man in the portal? They're going to have Ernest Day. They're going to have Zuby for. Do you feel like they need a big man, though?
2: I don't think that's their biggest need. I, I think it's more a luxury than anything. But it's a luxury that I think – you know, Bill Self will get probably more out of than just about anybody when you look at the fact that, you know, I I think I I did an article on this, and I can't remember the exact numbers, but, you know, K.J. Adams had something like 30 or or 40 post-up possessions that he finished this year where the possession finished, you know, with him having a post-up opportunity. And when you look the year before and the year before that and the year before that, you know, guys like David McCormick and Udoka, and Udoka Azabuki were getting over 200. And, and so you're looking at, at a situation where Bill Self is used to playing a certain way. And that's not to say that he can't adapt it. And, and I, I think one of the reasons all of us kind of felt like, hey, Bill Self is, is a dark horse, you know, national coach of the year candidate was because he altered his preferred style so much for last year's team. But that doesn't mean that's how you how you want to play, right? Like Bruce Pearl and Auburn played slow last year because they had to, but that's kind of not how Bruce Pearl wants his teams to play. And so, I do think that Bill Self, if he can go out and get a guy who's a back of the basket scorer, somebody that you know he can create those those seals and those post post up opportunities with, excuse me. I do think that it's something that could really drastically impact Kansas's ceiling. But at the same time, if Kansas has to roll into next year with KJ Adams being kind of a four or five because it seems like they want to get a little more size on the court, you know, Ernest Uday maybe stepping into that spot, Zuby four taking a sophomore leap, Kansas is going to be in a better spot you know, at the center position than a lot of people are. But at the same time, it's one of those things where if you can add a guy who's, you know, who's been named an All-American in the past who can average around 20 points a game and give you those kinds of efficient buckets, it's not necessarily, you know, the need. It's not necessarily even a need, but it does drastically sort of alter your projection, I think, for next year's team.
3: I'm glad you brought up Kevin McCuller also because last week Bill Self said he thought McCuller could really benefit from returning to KU. Uh, I, I was kind of surprised by that comment. Did that surprise you a little bit with how kind of candid he was about that? And if McCuller does decide to come back, what do you think that means for Kansas?
2: Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the biggest offseason move Kansas could make. I mean, let's let us be honest about it. If you're adding somebody from the portal I'm not saying you can't add a star player from the portal because there are so many players in the portal now that some of them inevitably become stars, but the percentage of that is significantly lower for a one-year player. And so, when you're when you're looking at hey, who's who's going to to butter the bread next year? You know, you're bringing back Dewan Harris, who's obviously a very good player, Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. You're bringing back. K.J. Adams, who is the Big 12's most improved player. But if you're saying, hey, how do we win this game when it's a two-point game in the final couple minutes, I think Kansas's best chance to to land a star player would maybe be for Kevin McCuller to come back and take that leap that we've seen guys like Ochaibaji and Jalen Wilson make. And it's not to say that he has to be Big 12 player of the year and All-American or all these different things. But if you look at where those players were, you know, coming into their last year, they both had shooting questions, right? Like Ochai had the NBA body, you know, athleticism, all those different things. But his shot was a little bit inconsistent. He was kind of an average shooter. And he came back and, and really shot the ball well and improved his NBA stock considerably. I think, you know, Kevin McCullough, if he makes a similar shooting leap to what we saw out of Jalen Wilson this year, there's no reason he can't be a 15 or 16 point a game scorer and be, you know, sort of that uh, blue collar type star, kind of the way that the Jalen Wilson was this year. Obviously McCuller really good on the defensive end too, but yeah, I think that's that's the single biggest sort of question out there. So I, I agree with Bill Self; it, it could be a big deal for McCullough because where you see him getting drafted in the places where he is getting drafted. A lot of times it's, it's kind of in that 52 and on range, whereas if he comes back to Kansas, he has the tools that, hey, if he improves that shot enough, his stock could really improve for the draft for next year.
3: Nationally around the college basketball landscape, Kyle Filipowski announced that he was going to return to Duke. You at 24-7 had said that was a possibility kind of a while back. Uh, I guess for for Duke, where do you think that puts them heading into next season? Does that make them the bona fide number one team preseason, or where do you think that puts them?
2: Yeah, they'd be our number one, and they were. <laughs> when we put out our way too early rankings, I think, you know, a lot of people had Duke, you know, top five, top ten, but almost nobody had Filipowski coming back. And, and that was something that we had talked to some people we had heard was was significantly better than, you know, maybe a 50-50 shot. Like, hey, this guy is probably coming back. And, and so that was a big part of the reason we ranked him number one. Their biggest competition for us probably going to be, you know, a couple Big East teams depending on a few NBA decisions. You know, obviously UConn is going to be really, really good again next year. You know, they add, uh, add some pretty good freshmen in. They are going to lose probably Jordan Hawkins, could lose some other people. But UConn's gonna be really good. Marquette can bring back all five starters from this year's team. The question with a with a team like Marquette is how do they get better from where they were last year? You know, do they are they able to add an extra piece that that kind of puts them over the top? But when you're looking at those different teams, I, I think it certainly puts Duke in the discussion for number one and, and for us it it definitely put the blue devils at sort of our preseason number one spot right now.
3: I guess big-picture-wise, what do you sort of make of this transfer portal cycle, and do you think that this is sort of something that's sustainable in college basketball, this sort of transfer portal cycle we have?
2: You know, it it does seem like things are are maybe going to shift a little bit. You know, it, it sounds like the NCAA wants to make it to where you know, potentially there's there's fewer second and third time transfers where guys aren't just automatically assuming, hey, I can transfer and I'll be immediately eligible after that first transfer. And so I I'm not sure if it's a hundred percent sustainable the way that it's currently going. And if we wind up seeing this off season sort of a round of high-profile players not getting immediate eligibility because the NCAA just says, no, you know, we're going to make a case out of this, then then I do think that, that things could change pretty considerably. I, I think when you pair it with NIL, too, you know, the, the thing that's so fascinating because, you know, we cover football as well is on the football side, it seems like most of these guys, their recruiting starts when they hit the portal, right? Like when – When a guy says, "Hey, you know what? I am leaving Albany," and he's a really good player, then you know that's when a lot of the different schools are are calling him up, and that's when they're starting to make those connections and and things like that. In college basketball, it's a lot faster moving. You're seeing guys who you know, if they aren't being outright tampered with, Nick, they're they're in a spot (laughs) where it's in kind of that gray area where somebody's calling a high school coach or somebody is, is talking to somebody other than the player and saying, Hey, you know, just so you know, if, if so-and-so is happy, you know, this is what we could do for them if they were able to come over here. And so in basketball, we see a lot more cases where sometimes we know where these guys are going or have a pretty good idea where they're going before they're even officially in the transfer portal. And so I think, that's maybe one of the spots that when you pair it with Nil when you pair it with all of that extra you know tampering or, or sort of early recruiting energy if you want to call it I, I think those are the parts that are maybe a little bit unsustainable and and we could start seeing more of a, a crackdown on that.
3: He is Kevin Flaherty of 24/7 sports. Kevin thanks so much for your time again and thanks always for your for your great insights.
2: Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on Nick Chalk Sports Talk.
3: Absolutely. Hey, you are welcome anytime on Nick Chalk Sports Talk. I don't know about Rock Chalk Sports Talk, but Nick Chalk Sports Talk anytime. Sounds
1: great.
3: Thanks a lot, Nate. Thank you. All right, that was Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here on RCST. Two hours down. we got about 50 minutes to go. We're going to cut RCST a little bit short uh, at the 6 o'clock hour to get to pregame coverage of KU Baseball. You can hear that with Derek Johnson and Gus Baylor on the call coming up at 5.50 here uh, on KLWN. One hour down, 50 minutes to go. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it.
0: 5 o'clock hour. You're listening to Rock Shock Sports Talk on KLWN. You can tune in to the KU baseball game tonight at 6 o'clock. pre will start at 5.50 for KU over at Legends Field taking on Texas Southern. And uh, they're doing a cool little... Um, I guess honor tribute yeah tribute is the word I was looking for there we go I was gonna say <laughs> honoration which is clearly not a word Um, yeah tribute to the uh, Negro Leagues and the Kansas City Monarchs and they have some cool uniforms going on and I know there's some fun promotions uh, going for the game as well um, so you can tune into that here on KLWN uh, some just news I guess around the way here we talked earlier in the day about the Hunter Dickinson stuff. Uh, there's another player out there now who would certainly be of interest to KU. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. It it's M G B A K O. I don't know if the it's Mbako or Mbako. Uh, I don't know. But McKenzie M. Um, he is a really good player. He was the number seven recruit in the country. Committed to Duke. He's Duke's highest rated commit as part of their number two ranked team class in the country. He asked out of his national letter of intent. So we have to wait and see. Obviously, he has to get out of it first. But, I mean, um, he's a six foot eight power forward. And this this sticks out. Okay. A, KU could use a four man, right? (laughs) B, this is from uh, the scouting report done by Adam Finkelstein from 24-7 Sports. This is just one little snippet. His shot making from behind the arc is his best asset. Mm, That sounds pretty good. That sounds like a nice combo. A four man who can shoot threes. (laughs) Come on down.
3: Yeah, so this news comes off the back of Kyle Filipowski announcing his returning to Duke, which I would assume why this Mbaco is deciding to ask out of Duke is he saw Filipowski comes back, realizes probably not going to have a chance to play as much and wants to pursue other schools, right? Which makes sense and And I wonder if this might happen more where you might see guys who are expecting to be one-and-done freshmen, but then the team that he originally committed to, he's just assuming that whoever's in front of him is going to leave, and then they come back, and then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Actually, psych, I'm going (laughs) to go somewhere else. I don't know if that will become more of a trend or not or if this is more just kind of like an outlier type situation. But it is definitely interesting. Now, when he was originally recruited, I don't think KU was one of the schools that was really heavily in on him. But now that he's back out there, maybe it uh, wouldn't hurt to make a call.
0: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, yeah, you're right. He was, They were not initially, like, in on it. But, yeah, I mean, who knows what changes. And I don't know when he initially committed. Like, what if it was something where he committed when he was a junior and Kansas hadn't gotten out there enough? I don't know. Um, it is interesting Anytime you have a kid who is at a uh, – committed to a Nike school and um, I believe his, like, AAU growing up were, like, Jordan brand, which is, you know, kind of a faction of Nike and stuff. To where, how does that work? Because sometimes that is a, a big hurdle for teams to clear. Mm, interesting. Um, I yeah. did see, though, that one of the other schools expected to be in on him, in addition to Kansas, like at least trying to make contact, is Louisville. And that's another Adidas, school, Adidas school, too. Yeah. So I, I don't know how much the shoe stuff matters. If it does, then that's a problem for KU. If it doesn't, then this just makes so much sense. Because for him... He could realistically come in. He'd be KU's highest recruit. You'd project him to be a starter at the four. Um, You'd expect him to play a lot of minutes for KU, and he also fits the role of being a good shooter. Yeah, I, I I think when when I look at it, like I don't know, maybe maybe we'll we'll actually list these out. But like to me, in terms of targets for KU, Hunter Dickinson is still like number one on the list. Realistically, I'd be like, hey, maybe like Max A Smith or Max A Smith or Tyler Perry should be up there too. But I don't know. This guy would probably be number two.
3: Yeah, and I mean, if you're considering, I mean, let's think this through logically. He wants to get out of his NLI after the Filipowski news. That would By the way, isn't
0: that confusing in- that we have NLI and NLI? Yeah, that's NIL. so annoying. <laughs> I
3: hate that. I literally hate that so much. Like, change NIL to something else. <laughs> so stupid. Anyways, sidetrack. Let's think this through logically. After the Filipowski news is when he decides that he wants to get out of his NLI. Why else would he want to do that other than he realizes, hey, I'm not going to get to play as much at Duke. So that means he's clearly looking for somewhere he can go where he's, like, guaranteed to play a lot. And that is something that Kansas can definitely offer, right? So, I mean, that kind of makes sense. I I, I mean, I don't know. I'm just thinking this through, you know. I'm not always the most logical guy in the world, but I'm just thinking this through, okay, step by step, yep, yep. That seems to to add up. So that would make sense as to why Kansas, I think, would have a chance to pursue a guy like this is because – they, ha- they can offer basically what this guy you would think is looking for considering the reasons why he probably decided that he wanted to opt out of Duke.
0: Yeah. Let me let me get to more of that uh, scouting report because I think it's interesting. He can also make the types of shots that translates to the next level, pick-and-pop threes, slipping out of ball screens to make shots on the move, or creating space with a series of sidestep or step-back shots. The mid-post has long been a staple of his individual offense, but now he's getting some easy points by moving without the ball more freely. Physically, he appears to be in the best shape of his career to date and was productive enough on the glass to hold his own at the four. His swing skills are his defensive versatility and shot creation abilities – both of which are rooted in his mobility, foot speed, and ability to play low to the ground when necessary. Um, if those two areas develop, both his versatility and overall projections will go to new levels. That is Adam Finkelstein, director of scouting for Twenty Four Seven Sports. He is six foot eight, two hundred ten pounds. He's listed as a power forward, but based on the shooting ability, mm. based on him being 6'8", 210, it's not crazy for him to play the
3: three. So you look at that. Yeah, I mean, what you do it like what exactly. you did with Grady Dick? Exactly. Where so, if you're going to play Ernest at the five. Or or maybe like even if KJ starts whatever. at the four, KJ's at the four. This
0: guy's at the three. Exactly. So to your point on the the playing time right away, he starts at the three, and then you can move him down to the four when KJ moves the five or when KJ goes to the bench, right? Yes. So you can
3: play three and four minutes. And for you. what's what's the thing that Dewan Harris is maybe the best at? Pick and roll type yeah. high pick and roll, like getting Boom. the guy the ball off of the off of the plays like that.
0: So, uh, obviously, toward the top of the board, story. now. It, sorry it sounds nice. We'll see. It yeah. sounds nice. It sounds nice. We'll see how realistic it is. That I don't know, but certainly somebody to monitor. Here's something else to monitor. Trey Johnson, he is the number one ranked recruit in the class of 2024. He's a shooting guard, wing type. He has set an official visit for Kansas uh, from May 5th through 7th. Hmm. And... I don't know if he can reclassify or not if that's something that would be discussed if KU would be like hey you know come on in on be, the on the wing that'd be wild I don't know but to be honest I I don't know how plausible that'd be he's 6'5 180 pounds. So he probably I mean, could even use if he's another not year.
3: Classify like that's still exciting.
0: Yeah. Now here's the scouting report on him. This is from Brandon Jenkins, twenty four seven Sports. A long and lean perimeter prospect who shows a sweet stroke. Johnson is as true a uh, shooting guard as there is in the twenty twenty four class. He's tremendously skilled with an advanced game for his age. Very good jump shooter off the catch or utilizing the rhythm dribble, and he loves the mid range game. He knows how to play and has a good feel for the game. Um, I don't think it makes a ton. His, his comp, by the way, is Devin Booker. That's a pretty good comp. Oh. I don't necessarily think that the idea is for them to try to get him to reclass, but it's certainly something when you have this many open scholarships. You know, <laughs> Maybe you talk about it at least a little bit. I, I, I do feel like the guys who end up reclassing end up like not being ready most of the time, which defeats yeah. the whole purpose of that. But there have been cases of guys who, like I remember Marvin Bagley reclassified and he was you know an All-American as yeah. a freshman, so it does happen yeah. um, from time to time. But whether that's for this year or in the future, I think it's very interesting from the note of Ever since KU has been under the cloud of the NCAA with the IARP case, we've seen them bring in really good players. We've seen them bring in future All-Americans, future All-Conference players. We've seen them bring in McDonald's All-Americans. But we haven't seen them be able to go back for like those top five guys. You know what I mean? Like the Josh Jacksons of the world, the Andrew Wiggins of the world that they got before. And I wonder if they're finally starting to shed past that which mean, I think is a good thing. Yes, and I'm not yes. saying that you want Kansas to become well, you know, I think Kentucky. It, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it sounds like... But I always, for me, for me, without a doubt, the the most ideal way to build a roster for for Kansas in this day and age, and, and it's different now because of the transfer portal, but it's that type of team that the 16-17 team was. A team that has a bunch of guards, can play on the perimeter, you have a bunch of veterans, whether those are veterans that... You know, mostly have come through your program. Maybe you add a couple transfers to give you those those veteran level players that are older, and you bring in like a one and done freshman, like a Josh Jackson, who instead of having to be filled on a team of those and has to be the guy, he can learn from those older players and use his talents. Yeah, yeah.
3: And Kansas is in a position to do that in terms of the veteran aspects because you know DeWan Harris is going to be here for another couple of years. You know KJ Adams is going to be in the program for another another couple of years. You figure Ernest and Zuby, probably one of those guys is going to end up sticking around and be more of like a program-type guy. So you do have that sort of core, and yeah, if you can come, if you can get in and, and nail a couple of really, really high-talent freshmen like that, uh, whether it's this year, next year, or the year after, whatever, that's going to set you up to have a lot of success, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, imagine
0: a world where in 2024, KU lands Trey Johnson, the number one recruit in the country. And this is not me saying they're going to land him; it's just a visit, like you <laughs> know. Um, but imagine a world where they land him, a Marco Jackson comes back for year two, DeJuan Harris is a sixth-year senior, and you have the best backcourt in the country. Right? That sounds pretty cool. We,
3: we have dipped into this is full off-season talk right here. Kindly, we have dipped into uh, shall we say, la la land.
0: Yes. We definitely have. Um, I I have also heard that the class of 2024, in addition to 2023, are not like super highly sought after recruiting classes, though. So, you know, number one player in next year's class could be equivalent to who decides that. Like, what do you mean?
3: Like, who decides, well, this class is going to be very good. Like like who, just the
0: scouting people, <laughs> the recruiting people. Like, they're like, you know, in a normal class, like, they how do you, might be I mean, ranked, like, dude, like number they're, eight. They're 16-year-old you know?
3: kids. I mean, That's, how can no, you be sure? No, it's fair. Sure? It's
0: very true. It is very true. And that is the most impossible <laughs> part about recruiting. Who's the state, you know, this guy doesn't next year average 50 points per game in high school, and they're like, he's the next LeBron James. You don't know. You know. not uh, So, yeah, very good point. Very astute point, nonetheless. But uh, both of those very interesting from the high school level because it seems like at this point, we have pretty much been condensed down to talking about the transfer portal for good reason. Uh, but now, with the Mbako kid out of Duke, and with this kid, whether it would be for a reclass, which I wouldn't expect, or for just future recruiting, yeah. uh, very, very interesting to keep an eye well, on. Well, and again, KU. just to circle
3: back, I mean, it sounds like Bill Self is could not be more full steam ahead on this stuff, right? So he's going to be out there. I would think he's been out there, right? So this just kind of adds to that, I guess.
0: Yeah, 100%.
3: I, I do find
0: it interesting, though, that KU is utilizing a visit with the kid um,
3: during a time when they are trying to construct this year's roster.
0: No, I get it. He's the number one recruit in twenty twenty four. Like you drop whatever you're doing and, and you make that work. But the timing of it certainly is a little bit peculiar there, to say the least. It's like the uh, the Brian Windhorse, you know, the meme. The I, I mean, I oh guess yeah, it was an actual video. What's going on in Utah? And it's like yeah. Wait, what's it, are on?
3: Yeah, yeah, right? Was I it? So. I don't know. I don't even dude, see that that's the thing about memes. It's been man. used for so many other With things. With memes, it's like you don't even remember what the what it actually <laughs> no, was. What no. actually was the conversation? No Just idea. Just remember the meme. All
0: right, let's get to uh, the moment that maybe some of you who are listening have been waiting for, you're like, you know, why are they talking about recruits? Let's get to the real meat and potatoes. That would be RCST trivia registration. So if you're new to this event, This will be our fourth year of doing it. We started it back during the COVID year 2020. We were going to do a bracket challenge. Um, Matt Llewellyn, 23rd Street Brewery, bought us a big screen TV to give away for the bracket challenge. Tournament gets canceled. We're like, what do we do? (laughs) And we were like, well, let's let's get creative with it. So we, we decided on this idea. And it has been one of my favorite things that we do each and every year. And we appreciate everybody who joins. We appreciate everybody who listens along to it where we pit together 64, just like the NCAA tournament, 64 of you guys, you great listeners, in a KU basketball trivia competition, one against the other. It's single elimination. It is high pressure. It's a ton of fun. You win free prizes for advancing on. I will uh, release the full prize pool later this week. I can tell you we already have some gift cards in there. We should have another big screen TV in there. Uh, We're going to have some apparel stuff in there, shirts, hats, all sorts of great stuff coming. And again, we'll get you that, that full prize list later in this week. But I promise you there's going to be a lot of good prizes, as there always are. Um, so pretty much you compete against each other. We schedule these, these Zoom calls for you to have throughout the days and and the coming weeks. And the further you go, the more prizes you accumulate as you go. But beyond that, it's just a fun event. Uh, You get to meet new people. We've had people become friends and become study buddies out of this type of stuff. Um, It's fun to listen to. It's fun to get to know our contestants. It's cool you get to be on the radio and tell your parents or family or uh, friends or kids or whoever to listen to on the radio. It's a fun, fun time. So if you would like to join in on the action, we are going to register um, right now. All you got to do is DM us or reply to us. Just some way get in contact to us on Twitter. At RCST1320 is our tag with code word trivia. Trivia. That's all. I don't care how you spell it. I don't care if it's capitalized or not. Just send us a message.
3: Trivia. Spelled correctly. Let's put some. We yeah, can't
0: let's spell like X Y Q four one and be like, "What do you mean?" That's how I spell trivia. No, you can't <laughs> do that. But please spell it right. Yeah, please spell it right. Uh, so send us trivia, whether again by DM, reply, whatever, and then we're going to respond to you and ask for some information to make sure we get registered. And once we, once you respond to that response and give us the proper information, you will officially be registered and you can be in this year's edition of R C S T trivia. Now, if you don't have Twitter. We have another way for you to get in contact with us as well. And that's okay. Shoot us an email, RCST1320 AM at gmail.com. So RCST for Rock Truck Sports Talk 1320 as in KLWN. AM is in your AM dial at gmail.com. That's RCST 1320. AM at gmail.com. If you're listening to this live, you can do it now. If you're listening to this later today on the podcast, you can still do it as well. We'll open up another registration coming up on Thursday. Then we'll open up to the masses on social media, I think on Friday or maybe over the weekend. But if you want to secure your spot right now for RCST Trivia 2023, our fourth edition of the event where you can have a chance to show off your KU basketball knowledge and win cool prizes, this is free to enter, by the way dm us hit us with a reply uh tweet at us whatever or hit us up again with our gmail rcst1320am at gmail.com let us know that you're interested and uh, we'll try to get you registered
3: yeah is there anything is there anything more awesome or that makes you feel good than flexing your ku basketball knowledge no of course not this
0: that's what this and is about and then you get to win the prizes pride. too yeah pride yeah yes. and you yes. win some free stuff So uh, he is Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Make sure to register for that now again at RCST1320 on Twitter or RCST1320am at gmail.com. We uh, will be back with our RCST replay. Then we got some KU baseball action. This is KLWN. Depend on it.
3: Thanks for listening to the best of RCST podcast. And a reminder you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN and Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at KLWN.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.